This week's sponsor is EDD Bookings. EDD Bookings is the appointment bookings extension for easy digital downloads. Accept bookings online for consultations and lessons. Rent out venues for hours, days, or weeks at a time, or have clients book doctor's appointments online. EDD Bookings saves you time and money while providing your clients with a clean and simple booking process. Get it from eddbookings.com. Hello, this is Jean Galea. Welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. With us today, I have Kevin Maldon. This is the third podcast in a row I have with him. And the reason is that Kevin is a very interesting guy. He's involved in lots of stuff. And specifically today, we'll be talking about how to launch and grow a YouTube channel. So this is very interesting for me because I've also thought about uh, launching my own YouTube channel uh, in the past. And I still think of it every now and then to complement my efforts on blogging, basically. And so I was very interested especially personally, to learn from Kevin in this episode. As I said last week, this was meant to be one episode, so we cut it in two. So please forgive our strange maybe intro and outro to the podcast. Uh, This was one interview I did with Kevin, which we later divided into two. But without further ado, let's get right into it and have Kevin explain how to build and grow a YouTube channel. Kevin. You started off, correct me if I'm wrong, you are reviewing uh, hardware and products on your channel. Is that the way you started off on YouTube? I actually started in South America and I think the first videos were travel related or about WordPress and like kind of similar to Mastermind almost, you know, just talking about business. Those videos are embarrassingly bad (laughs) from an audio and video and presentation point. But I mean, I guess everyone has to start somewhere. My involvement in YouTube the first few years was sporadic mm-hmm. at best. I was still blogging. I was still doing other things. I was still doing freelance writing. But over time, I started to get more involved and I started to enjoy it more. I started to enjoy, well, I mean, I'm still sitting at a desk most days, but rather than sitting writing 5,000 word articles, I was doing videos. And there's a lot of things you can do in video that you can't do in articles and vice mm-hmm. versa. You know, I think videos, you know, give a more personal touch. So yeah, I started off. That channel was, you know, because I was traveling, I'd talk about where I was going and then I was talking about WordPress and different things. But when I, you know, a few years later, when I started doing it on a more regular basis, I switched the focus up and I was reviewing phones, cameras, microphones, mostly like, you know, tech things, hardware things, graphics cards, PCs. How does one get started? And in, in that, let's say the, the hardware, because I've seen a lot of people doing hardware reviews. Do you actually buy the products or do they get sent to you? I have been sent a few things, but not many, not many. Most of the things, anything over, say, 50 pounds was I bought. And I bought it because I needed it, either being a new camera, a new monitor. And it kind of makes sense. You know, if I'm buying some things anyway, you know, I'm going to buy a new phone soon. Then I'll do some videos about it. It's content. So, yeah, I was mostly buying things that I was buying for myself. There are a few things that have been sent out to me not expensive. I've been sent like a tripod, a couple of yeah. gaming controllers and different things like that as well. It's kind of catch 22 because I've sent out lots of emails to companies. I'll say, Hey, listen, I'd love to do some videos of your product. I think it looks like a great product. And obviously I'm trying to keep costs down. Yeah. I'll send me the product. I'll do a review. I'll give an honest review. 
but it's kind of catch-22 because these larger companies, they want you to have huge following. Um, I, I mean, I remember when I bought this microphone, I emailed a couple of companies. I was saying, I'm looking to review more audio-related products. I'm getting interested. I was reading a lot about, because I was buying a microphone, I was reading about microphones and audio quality, and I'm still beginning in that regard. But um, out of like the 12 that I emailed, like two replied, and then one only replied to that, and they said, basically, we need you to have 50,000 right. or 100,000. And it's it's kind of annoying, I guess, that at the beginning, when you do need help financially yeah. with getting products to review, no one wants to help you. But the, the larger you get, the more following you have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same yeah. in anything. You know, The more you can give them, as far as exposure goes, the more likely they are to send you products. Um, and I'm sure, you know, when my, I think my tech channel now has got like 4,400. But when I get to 5,000 and then 10,000, you know, more companies will start approaching me and say, we've saw this video, we'd like to send you game controller mm-hmm. or a microphone or you know something like that I, you know that channel i think there's more potential from a business kind of monetization point of view with my cryptocurrency channel but i enjoy that channel as well you know it, it, these are subjects i enjoy reading about as well so it kind of ties in what we we're talking about last week where I, i've always you know i'm following my passion i'm talking about things that interest me i'm not trying to chase the money. Uh, you know, if I wasn't, you know, even before I was doing talking about these subjects on YouTube, I was reading yeah. about them. And, you know, I was reading articles about them and, you know, it's something that I'm interested in. And I think if you're a YouTuber, that's what you have to do. You need to focus on something that you're passionate about. You get found out very quickly if you don't care about what you're talking about, especially when you're on camera. Especially on YouTube when there's a lot of trolls <laughs> in the comment area. <laughs> so for someone who's starting out, let's say let's say myself, I want to start a adult channel where I talk about the sport and everything. I would say my two biggest questions would be either how many visitors or subscribe is it subscribers, which is the main metric? From a monetization point of view. Yeah. Obviously every channel is different because my tech channel will make more than someone who's talking about TV, for example, because mm-hmm. yeah. products, people advertising products, and cryptocurrency could be even higher than that. From a monetization point of view, generally speaking, views, the number of views you have per month, and then you can work out your CPM, your views will dictate how much you make every month. But subscribers is the, one of the most important metrics. YouTube looks at a lot of things. It looks at views. It looks at clicks, but one of the big things that changed a few years ago, it now looks at length of time someone's been watching. If you've got an hour-long video and someone watched for 30 seconds and clicks back, you've got one view, but they've realized someone doesn't like your content. Whereas, you know, if you've got one view, but someone watches a full hour, it means that the audience is engaged, and all of a sudden, they will place you higher in the rankings. So there are things like views, which is a ranking factor, which I'm sure, you know, anyone who's listening to this, understand ranking factors from an SEO point of view from websites. So you've got keywords, you've got, you know, the title, you've got your thumbnail, what people click on, but you've also got views, but you've also got engagement and how, how long people are watching. But sus- subscribers is another major metric. So if you have a very successful video, you know, it will encourage more people to subscribe. But, you know, if you look at all these different things, the number of views a video gets, the keywords, the length of time people are watching. If you get two different channels and they've got the, you know a similar video, similar, similar amount of views and engagement, if one channel's got 100,000 subscribers and the other one has got 50, 
then one channel's got 100,000 people saying, this is a good channel. They will automatically be placed higher yeah. in the search and uh, in, the, in the rankings. And it, you know, it's, it's exponential growth because of that. So I will go from 5,000, 10,000, much quicker than I did from even zero to 1,000. You've got more people yeah. sharing, more people commenting, more people views. All these things are ranking factors, which is why you might be looking at YouTube and you, your favorite guy's got 50,000 subscribers and you go back six months later and he's got 100,000. You're like, wow, you've, you know, you've jumped so high. But it makes sense because he's got 50,000 people looking at it or more than mm -hmm. that. You know, So there's a lot of things. You know, YouTube's got its own kind of ecosystem when it comes to rankings. It's a little bit different from SEO. But the principles of SEO and what, you know, what's valid and what's important, a lot of it, well, most of it transfers over. Is there some number of uh, visits? Like, like with a blog, you can say, if you have 10,000 visits a month, you can start earning money, for example. Is there some metric like targets where you should be able to make some money with YouTube when you've got that number of views per month? I'm reluctant to say, you know, again, it's one of those gray areas because every channel is different. And I guess when I talk about that, I'm, I mean with ads, right? Yeah. Because that's one of the initial ways to make money before contacting the brands and all that. Yeah. So Google AdSense, if you applied for Google AdSense and you're accepted, you know, I'm quite open about like my tech channels. Like I think my tech channel, 4,400, I'll, I'll make about $300 per month. Not a huge amount. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I've got Amazon links in some videos, so that may be, you know, that goes up and down seasons. Christmas, it could be a couple of hundred dollars. Summer, it could be $50. Yeah. Um, down the line, when you reach a certain point, 5,000, 10,000, this is where there's certain YouTube websites that open up. I think Famebit is one of the most popular ones. I, I don't know the rest of them off the top of my head, but they will only accept a YouTube channel with, say, 5,000 subscribers. That's their minimal requirement. They don't want to deal with smaller channels. They'll say 5,000. And then it'll open up, you know, you'll sign up and they'll say something like, well, Nike want to run an ad or they want you to review this product or, and then you can apply and they will look at your channel and say, oh yeah, that's closely related. And then you can get paid 100, 200, you know, and, and you can start making more money. But a lot of these opportunities don't arise. It's kind of similar, you know, just handling it directly with companies. A lot of opportunities don't arise until your channel is established. Right. I guess it's kind of like by celebs and the blogging space then where you need to have a certain audience as well be, to be able to even enter the program where there's the matching system between the bloggers and the advertisers. I'm kind of reluctant to give any you know, specific value because it does vary from channel to channel. Like for, across the board now, YouTube introduced this thing this year to try and improve the quality of their network. And you know, there was complaints about mm -hmm. you know, all these kind of things with advertising, people complaining. The minimum requirement now is 1,000 subscribers and then 4,000 hours of watch time within the last 12 months. Once you've reached that target, you can then apply for AdSense. And YouTube's very slow at responding. You could be like, I think I was two or three months before they actually accepted the channel. Mm. In fact, I was already accepted. And then I got to the 4,000 hour limit. I think I was like 3,600. And I went, right, I better get some views on this so I, I don't lose money. And then I missed it by a few days and I had to wait three months. I'm like, oh, you know, it was so <laughs> annoying. The reason I'm, I don't want to give, you know, hard and fast uh, figures on a YouTube channel and what you can expect is because subscribers is a metric that can be misleading. So it's a very important metric. You know, to go back to what I said, there's 
well, views is probably the main driver for monetization. But you can get someone, for example, that has 30,000 subscribers and they make less per month than I do because of their content or maybe their views are less or maybe their engagement is less. Could you buy subscribers? Yeah, you can. You can certainly advertise. I mean, you can use these, you know, go to Fiverr, pay for these yeah. dodgy subscriber websites. I think, I wouldn't recommend that personally. I think there's always the risk of getting your account deleted and you're inevitably going to spend more. I've seen people discuss this before. Other people say that, you know, because you need to reach that 1,000 subscriber limit, a lot of people say that it's justified and, you know, just to get your foot in the door almost. It's not something I did. And I'd always prefer to go down the legit route. But yes, there's always people that would do this. You know, when you set a requirement saying you need A, B, and C, yeah, some yeah, people yeah. try and take the quick way to get there. What I'm saying is that it's easier to falsify that than to say the metric for hours of minutes of video watched, right? Yeah, yeah. Engagement is something that's very hard for them to do. And I, I have no doubt that that's probably why they moved towards that metric because yeah. views can be manipulated, likes can be manipulated, dislikes can be manipulated, subscribers can be manipulated, but actual watch time, even for bots, is, is much harder for them to do that. But there's a lot of things, you know, keywords and, you know, you can get lucky. You know, I, I've spent a day or two producing a video and I'm thinking, of, you know, this is an hour long, I've did so many edits, so many clips, this is amazing, hardly any views. And then I did a news story about some random thing that I just was on top of my, you know, just popped into my brain yeah, i'll yeah. do a video about it Ten thousand views i'm like what's going on here but you know again it comes down to seo maybe you can do research on google trends and things like that yeah but as far as a hard and fast rule what, what i would say is if your channel is again lots of parallels to you know with blogs and websites but if, if you're focusing on too many things and we touched upon this last week in the last episode mm -hmm. with yeah. you know with your blog if it covers too many th different things the reason I went towards technology is I was doing travel, something, and then I was doing personal, and then I was doing WordPress, and I was doing making money, and then I was doing technology. I was all over the place. And it's and it's hard to, to get people interested in a channel when you're covering too many topics. Mm -hmm. If you go more niche, I think you're more likely to gain a passionate audience because they will share your passion. Also, from you know, from a business point of view, it's an easier sell. For example, there's, when I was researching microphones, there was a couple of really good YouTube channels and all they do is re review microphones. That's all they do. And there was one of them, it was amazing. I don't think he had that many subscribers, but I imagine if he goes to any company, they will send him it because they know every single person who watches his videos is wanting to buy a microphone. So it's a very targeted audience yeah. compared to someone you know, who's got 100,000 subscribers, but they just reviewed a microphone because they bought it that day. You know, it's, it's a very different thing. And I think if you do go niche, some of these business opportunities privately or publicly using a, a service like FameBit, where you have to declare that you've been paid for a sponsorship, I think those opportunities will be more available. But it's sometimes harder mm -hmm. to find that audience when you are niche. Yeah, I would just switch it to a different question, though. Like, what are the main mistakes you've done or you've seen others done when starting YouTube channels? You think that might be a better way of advising someone like me who's about to start? Like, what are the main things I should not do? That's a very good question. <laughs> That's certainly one, what I said there about talking about too many different subjects. Yeah. 
you know, again, both of us come from a blogging background, certainly within the last 10 mm-hmm. years. And I've taken a lot of experience from blogging and applied it to what I do on YouTube. I think inconsistency is one that I think hurts people. I've seen people where they do, they'll do a video every single day for two weeks and then like, oh, I'm not growing quick enough. And then they don't do any videos for four months. And then they realize, yeah. you know, why am I not getting an audience? I think in that regard, you're better doing one video per week and keeping to that schedule rather than doing it all at once. Mm-hmm. But also, I guess hesitation as well. You know, there's lots of little mistakes people make. They don't reply to comments. They don't respond to their audience. I think a lot of people perhaps aren't putting in enough work either. Maybe they're not putting, you know, doing enough videos. It's, I mean, you don't want your video to be like a video farm where you're just posting terrible things. In fact, the opposite is true. If you can, you know, I do generally, you know, I skew more towards doing more videos rather than long in-depth videos. But I think that sometimes people can talk more about doing, you know, there's a YouTube forum called YT Talk. I think it's yttalk.com, youtubetalk.com. And very interesting forum, hung out there a little bit. And I guess from an experience point of view, despite the fact I didn't have a presence on YouTube, again, my experience from working online helped me there. But there's a lot of people there and they're trying to get their channels started. And one of the things I noticed there was some people were posting every single day, how do I get my channel successful? How do I make money? How do I do this? And then you check their YouTube channel and they've not posted a video in like three weeks. And you're like, why are you spending all your time on Twitter and on discussion <laughs> forums? Just produce videos. Actually yeah. go out there and produce videos. I think, um, what, what's that thing? I can't even remember the name. It's like the four stages of learning. Have, mm-hmm. have you heard about that before? I don't think so. I maybe got that name wrong, but it's something that can apply to anything. We are, you know, in the first stage of learning, you don't know what you're doing, but you know so little about it, you don't know what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Then the second phase was you know what you're doing. Mm, yeah. And the second stage is conscious. So I, I'm getting this wrong. Yeah, yeah. I know but what you're talking about. Something I've gone through in paddle as well. <laughs> yeah. So if I start paddle, so I could draw parallels to paddle, I could start playing paddle and I could be terrible. Yeah. But I don't know why I'm terrible. Then I start looking at paddle websites, I look at tutorials, and I start, mm-hmm. you know, listening and reading books. And now, a couple of months later, I'm terrible, but now I know why I'm terrible. The yeah. third stage is now I'm good. And now, I know why I'm good because I've learned it all and I know why I'm good. And then the last stage is you're a master where it's like an art where you look at someone like in football, like Ronaldo or Messi, mm-hmm. and they don't even think, they just That's do right. it. Yeah. And the same things with YouTube. When you first start doing YouTube, you'll be terrible. You will be terrible. And if you're doing it right and you're progressing and you're getting better, you're going to be like me and look at your first videos and grimace. You're going to be like, oh, <laughs> that is so bad. But that's a good thing. You need to look at that in a positive way and realize that that means you've progressed, that you've got better. So I think the best advice to anyone with YouTube is to just do it. Make mistakes. It is, YouTube's a little bit different because your mistakes are going to be on camera and they're going to be there for the world. But if you go to the very beginning of any YouTuber, you know, unless they've came like a kind of you know, they maybe went sideways from someone who mm-hmm. did presentations for a big company and then they've started the YouTube channel. From the very start, they've probably got the experience to be quite polished and quite professional. But I think most people, when you're starting from scratch, you don't know what you're doing, you're making a lot of mistakes. And if you go back to these YouTubers and they go to the first videos, you'll see 
where they've came from, and then you look at them now and the quality of their videos, the, the how relaxed they are on camera as well, which is probably something I am as well. I'm probably more relaxed in front of a microphone, in front of a camera than I was, you know, a few years ago. And it just comes from experience. You know, I think as well, I think people are quite lucky today. Even You know, going back, when I was touring South America, I had a, like an old Olympus camera, which in hindsight wasn't too bad. But today, most people's smartphones, you stick it on yeah. a tripod and you're not moving around too much. You get a, a $10, 10 euros lavalier mic or just a cheap microphone. Even the, the default mics aren't too bad on iPhones and Android phones today. You can record pretty good videos if you do it right. You don't even need that anyway. If you've got a laptop, you can do screen shares, you can do tutorials. There's a really good uh, screencasting script called Screencast-O-Matic. And it's free to download. Screencast Omatic. It's free to mm-hmm. download, but it only costs $15 to remove the copyright and all that. Yeah. You can actually use it via the browser, or you can use it, just download the app. And you can use it across multiple computers and all that. So I pay $15 a year for that. I don't even use it that much anymore, but it's such a fantastic little thing. And what what you know, once what it allows you to do is just screenshot your computer. You can put your webcam in the corner. And then you can talk away and you can do news reports. You can talk about different things that you've been, you want to talk about. You can show yourself on camera, you know, fully. Mm-hmm. From a software point of view, it's very, very cheap to do. And, you know, there's other ways to do it as well. If your webcam is good enough and webcams don't have to be that expensive. I think you can use your phone if you want to, you know, if you're doing it, it. The reason why I'm kind of jumping around here is because it will depend on the type of videos you're doing. Yeah. So if you're going to just sit and talk to the camera, I think most smartphones can record in 1080p, 30 frames per second. If the mic isn't good, get like a $10, $15 lavalier mic. I was using a lavalier mic on one of my channels all day, and it was only £9 to buy. And I can't believe how good it is because I've got a £200 shotgun mic, which Mm -hmm. you would think would be much better. And the quality isn't that much different. So the entry point from a hardware point of view, to get started anyway, doesn't have to be a lot of money. It doesn't have to be a huge investment. So, you know, if there's any reservations about starting YouTube because they think, well, you know, the guy that I watch on YouTube has got thousands of pounds, thousands of euros worth of equipment. You need to recognize they didn't start with that. Go back to the earlier videos. They were probably using a cheap webcam. The webcam that I'm using right now, you know, is probably like 200 euros on Amazon. But I've got another one here, which is like 15. And to be honest, when, when it's daylight, there's not a, a lot between them. And this is certainly good enough to get started in YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think just do it. There's a lot to be said about just putting your face out there on YouTube and just doing it. Make your mistakes and you'll quickly realize what you need. Because when you start doing videos and you listen back and you go, that audio was terrible, <laughs> you know? So I think audio is one of the first things you should get right before mm-hmm. video even. People will forgive dodgy video they won't yeah. forgive dodgy audio if it's a lot of hissing a lot of background noise they'll click the back button so if yeah. you can sort out a, a decent mic first even a gaming headset if you want to just do screencasting and then once you've established your youtube channel then you'll start watching people's videos and they'll see you know look at this webcam it's a little bit better yeah you can spend as much as you want really you know there's cameras i've looked at which are thousands but i'm content with, with what i'm using right now yeah yeah, I think the hardware side is always quite a natural progression. Once you've got your baseline where you sound good, then it's up to you and how popular you get in terms of upgrades. Before the show, you were mentioning some software systems that I had no idea about. So 
I'd love if you could share those, the OBS and you mentioned yep. something else. So OBS stands for Open Broadcaster Software. So if mm -hmm. you go to obsproject.com, uh -huh. now another version of this recently, OBS is 100% free, 100% free to download. It's available, I think it's on Mac, Linux, and Windows. So everything, basically. Free to download. It's a little bit strange at first. When you first use it, it might seem a little bit strange, but once you actually... What's it used for? OBS allows me to record videos right. via my webcam. It allows mm -hmm. me to record videos via basically anything. It really is versatile once you start to use it. I use it for live streams, but I also use it for recordings. In my videos, I jump from my webcam to my second webcam to you know a, a camera that I connected mm -hmm. via an HDMI cable to my screen. You basically create these things called scenes. So you're, you know I can quickly display my browser and then switch back to a camera. Right. And it's very, very powerful. There's an, another version of it called Streamlabs, where it's Streamlabs OBS, and it, this allows you to add all these different features to it. So mm -hmm. it's more like an extension of OBS. Someone's taken the open source version and said, well, we can do it better. And you can integrate lots of things that you don't get with OBS. OBS is kind of, you know, there's plugins available for it, but it's you know, kind of very easy to use. There are easier solutions, though. There's paid solutions. Whenever you buy a gaming card, you'll probably get offered... I can't even remember the name of it. There's a few that have been offered for free. But there's certain software that you can download. You know, the one I got with my software is Game Capture HD with my Game Capture card. But there's a lot of uh, software out there, and they're like $30 a year, $50 a year. You can spend as much as $200, $300 a year. I'm happy with OBS because it's free. They do updates every now and then. I find it easy to use. But most importantly, in comparison to most of these paid apps, it's not as CPU or GPU intensive. And this is something you have to watch out from a recording point of view. When you're recording directly from your computer and you're recording a webcam or a camera or your screen, your CPU and your GPU, you know, the processor can be pushed quite hard. And if, you, especially if you're doing streaming because it needs to record and then, you know, upload it mm -hmm. online. OBS is known as quite a lightweight solution in that regard. And there's, there's other ones where you need a more powerful computer to run it. But... With these things, I like OBS because it's free. It's always the one I'd recommend first because it is free. And, you know, you're not losing any money trying it. I've tried some of these premium ones, you know, was offered them or got them included when, when buying a game or a graphics card. You know, a lot of the time they throw these things in with a graphics card. So when you've bought 30 graphics cards, you've got <laughs> so many licenses, you don't even know what to do with them. But I just come back to OBS. I just, so partly the reason I like OBS is because it's free. But I won't lie. One of the reasons I like it is because I'm used to it now. You know, I've used it for so long. I realize what I can do with it and very versatile. You will run into some problems as far as the configuration goes. It's not the most, some of the settings aren't the most user-friendly, but out of the box, you can just, you know, there's tutorials on YouTube. There's just a few key settings that you should maybe change. You set your frame rate, you set your resolution um, and things like that. And you set your bit rate if you're doing streaming and your bit rate, is, you know, that will depend on your internet connection. I've got a 20 megabyte upload internet connection. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you've only got a five megabyte upload connection, you'd maybe have to do three megabytes for the bitrate. Mm -hmm. So the quality perhaps isn't that good. But these are all things that you can explore later. Yeah. What about managing like the comments and adding links and ads on your videos? Is that all done through YouTube itself? As far as clickable links, yeah, there's things on YouTube that you can do, like annotations and all these cards and things like that. It's not something I know much about. I've kind of stayed clear of all those kind of things simply because from a time point of view, 
I find it quite time consuming to do those kind of things. And mm-hmm. you know, I've got two YouTube channels. I'm mining rigs. I'm you know doing articles for some people for free. I've got my own blogs. I've got other websites that I'm not even updating. And just from a time perspective, my whole setup has about you know it's about streamlining everything as best as I can. Yeah. But there are, you know, I may be make, making a mistake in that area because there are apparently many SEO benefits from adding cards, from adding subtitles for other languages. These are things that I'm not doing simply from a time point of view. You know, a five-minute video, if you can imagine it, can you imagine even writing subtitles for this podcast? Especially when one guy's <laughs> <Yeah>. Scottish. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> but... You know what I mean? It's like if you do a five-minute video, you could then spend 30 minutes writing the subtitles and there's things like yeah. that I, you know, I just don't do. Yeah. But, you know, with YouTube, I'm not doing everything right with YouTube. I, I still, I'm past the beginner stage, I guess, but I certainly am far from being an expert. There's lots of things I need to learn with editing. I, I kind of keep my videos simple in that regard. I just do basic edits. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing too many flashy things. And the reason being... You know, a lot of these two top YouTubers, they will spend 30 minutes recording or an hour recording and then spend eight hours editing. Yeah, I've always preferred to do like an hour recording and 10 minutes editing. For me, my enjoyment and the way that I like doing it is spending more time in camera rather than sitting editing video all day. Perhaps that you know, negatively affects my channel because of it. But the type of videos that I do, it's more about content and doing thorough reviews and talking to people depends on your channel you know lots of videos in the gaming world for example quick fast edited little clips are probably going to do better than a long video but then you've got long gaming streams live streams as well that are popular so when you explore youtube you'll see lots of people saying you should do this you should do that I, i think there's a lot to be said about listening to your gut i've had a lot of people saying you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that you know you know i've had somebody saying why was this video 20 minutes long you know, for this, you know, like, for example, I've got a mining tutorial and it's an hour long and I show you every single thing, you know, you need to do to set up a mining rig. But I've, I've had comments from people f- for videos like that. They'll say, well, that, well, why didn't you do it in three minutes? I'm like, well, firstly, you know, <laughs> but the thing is, there are people that only like short videos. And again, to go back to what we talked about last week, the short attention spans. Yeah. And there is a kind of sweet spot as far as, you know, short videos, quick to watch. People can jump to another video from an SEO point of view. You know, maybe that's best. But I know myself, I like watching these longer interviews. I like watching these longer tutorials. And the people that I watch on YouTube and the videos that I enjoy, you know, if I'm buying a phone, there's people that do like a quick video and say, this is the phone, it's got this feature and this feature. Yeah. And a lot of people say, why don't you do videos like that? I look at those videos and I think, well, they're not telling me anything I can't find out from the specifications page on the website. I prefer, personally, I prefer the videos where... You know, the guy goes into real detail. He tells you exactly what he feels, and he might even spend an hour doing it. Maybe I'm a little bit crazy watching those videos, but that's as a viewer, that's why I enjoy. So, as someone who's a YouTuber, I do the videos that I enjoy watching myself. When you do videos, you you have to have a thick skin. You have to be prepared for criticism because YouTube is full of trolls. People will say, "Why don't you do this?" and "Why don't you do that?" And you do. It is worth. You know, you have to listen to your audience. You have to have. You know, take feedback, and you know criticism and take it on the chin and realize that sometimes what they're saying is right you also have to listen to your gut and you have to realize that well this is how i'm doing it and this is what i enjoy you will get criticized people will pick out people complained oh your your room looks messy why don't you clean it up i'm like it's an office it's where i've got 
I've got you know, like five computers in here. I've got boxes. Everywhere. For me, I come in, I record, and I leave. Or someone says, well, why don't you mm. iron your shirt today? I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> someone say that to me that, that a few on a live stream. They're like, well, this YouTuber wears a suit. I'm like, I'm not putting a suit on every day to sit, you know, doing videos. <laughs> I'm sorry. But you, you, you know, you can laugh at some of these comments, but you have to go your own way. And people will say, yeah. you have to do this, you have to do that. You know, and it, again, it comes down to, you know, if everyone's going left, sometimes going right, you can carve a niche and you can find your audience where other people don't even think you could. Awesome. One last thing about YouTube. Is there any way that, like the typical way you would promote your channel? Is there any obvious way that you would do that? That's, I'm probably the worst person in the world <laughs> to talk about this because I know I've read articles about this and I've listened to people talking about this. And, you know, if you spend a, 30 minutes recording, 30 minutes editing. There's a good argument that you should spend two hours, you know, twice as much time submitting to Reddit and all these things. I basically auto-post to Twitter and then let the search engines mm. handle it. But it's probably been to my detriment. I've never wanted to spend all day on Reddit, you know, spamming forums and trying to get it. And I, I never wanted to pay to get my videos listed either. But there's certain, you know, there's a lot of merit in doing that. And, you know, I've seen other people doing that and they've taken their channel to the next level by doing so, by, you know, spamming Reddit, spamming Twitter and, you know, posting videos everywhere and forums and all that. It, for me, again, it comes down to what I enjoy doing. And if I've got, you know, enough time to do three videos in a working day or two videos in a working day, I would rather do those two videos than do one video, spend hours editing and then hours, you know, marketing. I'd rather get more content out there. But that's perhaps maybe why my channel isn't where it should be right now. So again, mm. it comes down to the fact, maybe I'm not a beginner, but there's certainly a lot of things I could perhaps do differently. Yeah, so I'm maybe not the right guy to ask in that regard because <laughs> I, I prefer to just, you know, once I've published the content, I got it out there and I kind of leave it to, you know, YouTube's yeah. rankings to figure a lot of things out. From a marketing point of view, I've never, in, even from when I was in, involved in blogging more, I never enjoyed that aspect of it. I never enjoyed, Me neither. you know, you know, you're probably the same. I get emails every day saying, you know, they'll, they'll contact me, say, hey, we found out this article is fantastic. We've written another article. Could you please link this? And I'm just like, spam, <laughs> spam. But yeah. I, I also know those things are effective and people do mm. get a lot of incoming links doing that. I just, I'd rather not do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> are you thinking, so are you thinking about jumping into the YouTube world at one point, John? I think I mentioned it in the other episode, but I think there's an opportunity with Puddle, especially as it continues to internationalize. There's definitely, I'm seeing a lot of people having success with Spanish channels about Puddle. So I'd love to do something in English about uh, the topic. Obviously, I'm still in the stage where I know I'm a bad player and I know what I'm doing wrong. So <laughs> I'd like to get to the next level before I start recording stuff. Although there's a, there's a strategy for doing it right now, yeah? <laughs> I think actually being um, bad at Paddle could actually be one of the things that helps you get views mm. because... Yeah, because most of the others are coaches or professional players doing it. So I think yeah. there's a case for the amateur player sharing the journey. Well, so, you know, drawing parallels to the WordPress world, it's... I can't write good tutorials and good articles about how to use WordPress as a beginner. You know, mm. I've seen, and they're like, well, can you write a, an article as a beginner? I'm like, you get to a certain point, it's so far 
there's certain things that beginners might struggle yeah, with for sure. that I just can't even see it as a problem. Like, you know, something like, well, you click, you know, because it becomes second nature, you know, it, you reach a certain level and it's very hard to teach someone that. And I think, what you know, I'm not a coder, I'm not a developer, but some of the best articles I've written were about coding because what I had to do, you know, whereas a coder would say, oh, this is easy, all you do is do ABC and that's it. I'd have to go right back to the start and say, right, okay, how do I do this, right? And then I'd have to learn. I'd have to learn everything from scratch and I'd just document it in an article. And the article was better because of that. And I think, you know, from your point of view, if you got too good, good at this game in a few years' time, do you really want to go back and say, this is how you do, you know, beginner things? When yeah, you're, yeah. you're so far in advance, mm-hmm. I would just get going. I would really just at least test it, test the waters yeah, and see how it goes. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm getting more into it, so perhaps in a few months' time, I'll do something. Well, I think from, from right, your you point of view, should do it right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I, I can't complain about anyone about procrastination. You've obviously got a good webcam. You've got a good microphone already. Yeah. So, like, you could sit where you are right now and just show highlights of clips and then kind of introduce them. There's yeah. different things. I'd love to do that. Yeah. But you could carve out a whole niche, and this is the thing, you know, you're going to look at videos and tutorials and advice from people saying that you have to do A, B, and C. You can do what you want. I honestly think you can you know change what? it. And that's why I'm asking you these questions, because I'd like to dedicate a day to just go through the process of making a video. So then when I'm really ready and I have this idea that I really want to put out, there's no hardware or software obstacles, like as in... I don't know how to do this, you know. I know, yeah. and it's just a question of getting the right inspiration. And then, I do, like I do with podcasting now, you know, I don't bother with the production because I've got all the process set. So anytime I need to interview someone or talk about something, I know exactly how to do it. There's no barriers of entry at, at all. Well, I think, kind of go back to what we are talking about before, we talked about the hardware and we talked about, you know, producing videos and SEO and all that. One of the things we haven't really spoke about yet is editing, mm-hmm. editing a video. Now, yeah. editing a video can be quite an intensive thing as far as encoding from a, a computing point of view. So ideally, you want a quad core, mm-hmm. a laptop, a computer, a dual core. You know, it, it'll be very slow. But from an editing point of view, screencast-o-matic, if you're just doing a, a basic screencast where you're recording your screen or you're recording your webcam, screencast-o-matic has some basic editing functionality in, into it. Then, you know, one of the other things I used when I had a Mac, there was an app called ScreenFlow. ScreenFlow is very, yeah, very simple that. to use. Yeah. Well, ScreenFlow, from a video editing point of view, is very, very simple. And, you know, I, I use Premiere Pro. I use Adobe Premiere Pro. So I pay for, you know, for yeah. that every month for the suite. And I'm at the point now, it'd be very difficult for me to go back because I'm so used to using it. And you do mm-hmm. become more accustomed to the software that you use. There are some other alternatives. I think, what's the one Final on Cut Apple? Is the one I Final use. Cut. And then there's... Sony Vegas and all these other ones. Yeah. But I think if you're custom with that, you don't have to, you know, a lot of the time my edits are simply get the start point, get the end point, you know, put in some other clips if it's if it's important, put in like my little banner at the start, saying my name and my Twitter account, put a little bit at the end. And I try and keep it simple in that regard. But yeah, from a, you know, if you've got the recording setup, you've got the microphone, you've got the webcam and all that. It, the, the last thing you'd really have to mess around with is editing. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you've got a little, bit, a little bit of experience in that area already. 
Yeah, yeah. I do upload my paddle videos, and that's kind of what I started practicing with, is recording my paddle uh, matches and then editing them in some simple ways on Final Cut just to get used to it, even if it's just uh, simple edits. I would be familiar with the software itself, and it's not such a big obstacle. So that Thank was my you. first thing, yeah. So it's, technically, I do have a lot of videos on YouTube, but they're just me playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just like record and upload. Yeah. You know, if, if you wanted to do, you know, do the YouTube channel more polished and, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of, there's so many different directions you could take it. I don't even know where to start, but even just looking at an hour long video where you've uploaded your match, you could find your five best shots. Yeah. And then there's a video, five great shots. And mm -hmm. then you could do the next one, five terrible shots from a paddle beginner. Yeah. Yeah. which is very clickbaity, but these things work. And again, it comes down to short attention spans. Instead of someone watching for an hour, they'll watch your shots and they go, oh, look what I did right here, look what I did wrong. Mm -hmm. And then it could be you talking about it. And I think, you know, we've, obviously we've drawn a lot of similarities to our experience finding it. I do think we, we, we approach these things in a similar way. For me, YouTube is a very creative experience. As far as you come up with an idea, re you record it, you give your own personal view on things and then you, you respond to people in comments and all that. And I think, you know, it's a similar reward as you get to blogging. It can be tough, especially, you know, with, it's so competitive and, you know, YouTube, there's so many people out there. But I think as far as, yes, it's good to have content on your blog and you can embed your YouTube videos on your blog, but the audience on YouTube is going to dwarf anything else out there. I realize a lot of people are doing well on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, but as far as producing content, YouTube, there's so many potential viewers out there. There's, such, there's an audience out there waiting for you and you don't even know yet, you know, because there's a lot of people that clearly got the same passion as you. Mm. And maybe you won't make a huge amount of money with it, but it's, you know, again, to go back to what we said last week, it, you don't know what doors this is going to open down the line. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, I did my Instagram profile just for a paddle just to get in touch with other players and sponsors and all this stuff, you know, so not going to make any money. I just learn about what nowadays school kids are doing and enjoy the process, really. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know, what I was talking about earlier as far as having a niche subject. You know, I definitely think that's a niche subject. And on paper, there might be other channels that cover all sports. But I think if you had a mm -hmm. paddle channel, Every single you know person who subscribes, it's not just you know like subscribing because they liked one video. There's a very high chance that the people who subscribe are watching every single one of your videos. Yeah, you could have a very retentive audience, people who watch and comment on every single video, and the, again, there's going to be a lot of opportunities and from that. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's just a question of getting down to it. So yeah, with your advice, I'm one step closer for <laughs> sure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin, one last question I have, because I see a lot of similarities in the way we think and we're involved in different projects. I'm always curious as to how people became what they are and why they're interested in many subjects. I'm curious, do you have any books or resources that influenced you and you can point to that made you or any experiences that made you uh, the way you are today in terms of behavior and thinking in different directions and many interests? No, I think I'd be lying if I said there was one book that influenced 
you know, how I thought. Or just an approach to life or maybe, I you know, other people who influenced you? I think that's quite a difficult question because you're like, where does this mm. desire to, I, th I think it was always there. I've certainly been influenced by books, but a lot of the books, most of the books I read were non-fiction, but there were more history and, and things like that. You know, a lot of people perhaps in this position would, what do you call that guy again? It came out with that book about how he, the four hour work week, that guy. Yeah, Tim Ferriss. Well, when Tim, Tim Ferriss came out with his book, you know, I'd been working online for six, seven years. So everything that was in that book, yeah. I, I kind of already knew or had already tried it already, yeah. you know, so not saying it's not a good book or it's not influential, just it was certainly not an influence on me because I, you know, was already, you know, wasn't mm -hmm. a beginner anymore. Yeah. I was certainly shaped by my experiences traveling that you know but i don't know if that's related to business more just my life you know, how i look at life as far as i want to do something i enjoy but i, I recall when i came out of university i took a job and i was working in finance and i did enjoy the social aspect of working with other people in an office i also found it was quite frustrating certain times because you know you were just like a robot you know do this do this and then you would suggest good things yeah, yeah. and you know, you had no input to anything. You were just like, do that, you know, do these spreadsheets or do these letters or do these whatever. And, you know, it was around that same time that I, you know, in 2000, that I started developing my own websites and I really enjoyed it and I was driven by it and I was working hard on it. And I don't know where this came from. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a chip on the shoulder. I don't know if it's, I don't want to have a <laughs> boss. I don't know. Um, I think maybe it's the creative aspect of it. I do think it's the creative aspect mm -hmm. of it. I'd actually like to do more reading. I'd like to do more reading now. You know, I do enjoy reading. But I find that when you're producing content, when you're producing videos all day, when you're writing articles all day, I find at the end of the day, my brain's fried and I can't, I can't mm. really focus. You know, I think I'd have to be on holiday and lie by a pool for a few weeks to read. I'd probably, you know, just gorge myself on books. But I think day to day, <laughs> when, you know, because when, whenever you do a video, or whenever you do a video or an article, it's not just the five-minute video or the thousand-word article. You've got all the research before right. it. You've got all the testing. You know, you review a plugin. You're not just saying, here's the plugin. You have to go and test it. You know, you know, there's a lot of work in the background. So you're doing a lot of homework, I guess, to, to be knowledgeable about anything that you talk about. But, you know, as far as what I do, as far as what drives me, I like the creative freedom. I like, I like the fact that, you know, if you work extra hours for the man, you know, on a 95 job, that type of thing, <laughs> you're not you're really rewarded in the way that you should be most mo, not not every job but i think most people you know if you do extra hours or you go that extra mile you're getting paid the exact same as the guy beside you who who sits and does nothing all day and and mm -hmm. you're doing two or three times as much work as them and you're not getting paid i do like the the fact that if i work you know i work my butt off i can reap the rewards you know sometimes i don't reap the rewards because you know i, I make mistakes or whatever but I do like being in control of my own destiny. I'm not afraid yeah. to work hard, but I, I enjoy the creative aspect of it. And, you know, as far as YouTube, as far as blogging goes, it can be very enjoyable. But, you know, it can end up being a job if you overwork yourself. But I think the pros outweigh the cons, and I, I don't think I could give that up. Yeah. I kind of like the uncertainty of knowing, not knowing whether this is going to be hugely rewarding or... Huge, a huge failure. <laughs> well, it, it motivates me much more than having like a fixed salary. Yeah. And it, well, it's, it's kind of like nothing ventured, nothing gained as well. Yeah. You know, if you work online, I've had people 
and maybe that's a chip on the shoulder as well. But I've had people before saying, oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. I'm like, I'm working seven days a week. I'm working twice as many hours as you are. You know, and they'll say yeah. that I sold a website for tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, you're so lucky. And like, how is that luck? How is that? <laughs> you know, as someone who goes through seven years of medical school to become a doctor, is that luck as well? But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I just enjoy, enjoy it. You know, I think it's like anything else. So again, something we talked about in the last podcast, which I've referred to a few times, but yeah, in the last podcast, we were talking about how maybe an inquisitive mind, when you reach the end of that journey and you're not learning anymore, you kind of lose interest. And, but the good thing is you can do that. You know, if you do become bored of talking about a particular subject, you can move on to something else, some, something else that does interest you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's creative and you're always learning and but I, I don't know where that stems from i really don't know where it stems from i don't know if it's a chip in the shoulder or not when to work for <laughs> someone or just i just find it rewarding yeah all right well we'll leave that as an unknown maybe <laughs> <laughs> come back for the next a podcast subject for our meditation yeah. in the future <laughs> Awesome. Well, I've certainly learned a lot and I hope our audience finds it interesting and they learn a lot from your experience and your approach to things. So thanks a lot again, Kevin, for being with us for another episode. Anytime. I still think we'll have you again in the future to discuss <laughs> some other topics. For sure, we'll, we'll both be involved in other topics in the future that will be worth talking about. So the next well, perhaps same um, <laughs> yeah perhaps in like six months time we can do yeah. an episode all about youtube and we can talk about you know what's been happening in your youtube channel yeah for sure no pressure <laughs> no pressure there. <laughs> certain i have to do it now <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right thanks kevin anytime mate thanks Thanks a lot for listening to another show of Mastermind.fm. This is Jean Galea. You can find me on Twitter at Jean Galea or on my blog, JeanGalea.com. We always welcome your feedback, so feel free to you know, message us on podcast at Mastermind.fm. And if you love this episode or you love Mastermind.fm in general, please leave a review on iTunes. This is very encouraging for us and you know encourages us to keep producing these episodes for you so that's it from us today thank you again for kevin for being with us in the past three episodes and i'll see you in the next episode of mastermind of the next week <laughs>